0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles!
1: Close your eyes and
2: Beatlemania took hold of America when Paul McCartney, John Lennon, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr made their first live televised performance in the U.S. on February 9, 1964, on The Ed Sullivan Show. The performance was watched by more than 70 million viewers in more than 20 million American households. Ed Sullivan Show performance would set the stage for the Beatles' first American tour. Seven months later, the Fab Four would arrive in Cleveland for a concert at Public Hall. Madness would ensue as fans broke through a line of police and rushed the stage. It was a spectacle only outdone two years later when the Beatles returned to Cleveland for a stadium concert that stands as one of the most historic shows in Northeast Ohio history. I'm Troy L. Smith with Cleveland.com, and you're listening to CLE Rocks, the music podcast from the birthplace of rock and roll. This is the story of how two concerts in Cleveland came to embody the sheer awesomeness of Beatles mania and left a permanent imprint on those who were there. Beatlemania began a year before the band ever arrived in the United States. Songs like Please Please Me, She Loves You, and I Want to Hold Your Hand were part of an unprecedented string of hits in the UK. Multiple tours in Europe would produce a frenzy both among fans and the media. The fanfare was of such magnitude that Beatles guitarist George Harrison would later describe it as a divine decree. Look out kid, it's something you did, God knows when, but you're doing it again. It's the law of karma. And that's, so we just did what we did, and we got, you know, we did good, we did bad, and we got gain, and we got loss. But it was all a sort of destiny, really. It was only a matter of time until the Beatles made their way to North America. Capitol Records would issue I Want to Hold Your Hand in December 1963. It became the Beatles' first number one hit in the US and sold a million copies.
3: I wanna hold I wanna hold
2: your That following February, the Beatles would arrive at New York's John F. Kennedy Airport, where 3,000 fans waited to greet them. Two days later, the band would perform on The Ed Sullivan Show. The British invasion had begun, remembers Cleveland fan Dawn Sadler, who was 14 when she saw the Beatles perform in Cleveland.
3: For girl, young girls, first of all, they're all cute you know they're all good looking guys but it was like the harmonies and the different type of music i mean it was totally different you know before that we're listening to like gene pitney the beach boys roy orbison which i still love to this day but it was a whole different feel of music
1: one two three five
2: The band's North American tour would kick off in August 1964 and feature 32 concerts in 25 cities over 31 days, starting in San Francisco's Cow Palace. Just about every show was met with fanatical crowds. Fans were so aggressive, the Beatles had to use decoy vehicles to get from their hotels to concert venues. The 1964 Beatlemania rush may very well have peaked in Cleveland on September 15th. The night before the band's concert at Public Hall, the Beatles were staying at the Sheridan Cleveland Hotel on the Square. Police were positioned around the building to keep bands at bay. However, all it took was the band members waving from their hotel room window to excite fans enough to break through the police barrier. Northeast Ohio Beatles historian Dave Schwenson says the scene in Cleveland was one like no other. Cleveland was pretty different. You know, when they played New York,
0: say Shea Stadium, there were just the, the policemen, the police force was out. They were on horses, they had you know, barricades set up, the fans could not get near them. And it was the same in most other cities. In Cleveland, and Jerry G., the DJ told me this and he says because he toured with them in 65 and 66 he said in the other cities the kids wanted to see the beatles they wanted to
2: hear the beatles they wanted to scream in cleveland they always wanted to touch them the concert the next day at public hall featured opening acts the bill black combo the exciters clarence frogman henry and jackie DeShannon, all setting the stage for the long-awaited arrival of the beatles
3: you think you've lost your love well i all her yesterday she's thinking of and she told me one day she said she loves you and you know that
2: can't be bad more than 100 police were lined up in front of the stage at public hall to prevent anyone from reaching the band but it wasn't enough during a performance of all my loving the crowd once again pushed past police with a few fans even making it onto the stage near the band members the beatles retreated backstage and the concert was halted for 10 minutes as fans were urged to stay in their seats. The Beatles wound up finishing their 12-song set, but the damage was done. Coupled with the Rolling Stones concert at Public Hall two months later, where a fan fell from a balcony, the frenzy at the Beatles' public hall show contributed to a ban on rock concerts at publicly owned venues in downtown Cleveland.
3: He's a real nowhere man Sitting in his nowhere land
2: From 1964 to 1966, the Beatles would embark on an unprecedented studio run that included the release of five of the band's core albums. It wasn't all glamorous, however, producer George Martin recalled years later.
0: They just lived four years of real hell, I think, on an eternal golden treadmill. And I had to scrape time in order to bring them into the studio to keep those records going.
2: Still, the Beatles' popularity continued to grow leading to the announcement of a stadium tour in 1966. Ironically, the Beatles' latest tour would inspire the city of Cleveland to lift the rock and roll concert band that the band had inspired two years prior.
0: They went to City Hall to try to get the Beatles in. Again, this is Norman Wayne and Joe Zangali, the guys who had Woodsey Radio. They, they basically said, if you want to be considered a major city in the United States, a progressive big city like New York and L.A., and well, you've got to bring in the Beatles. It's like having a baseball team, it's like having the Cleveland Indians, it's like having the Cleveland Browns. So that was one of the selling points.
2: However, in a March 1966 interview, John Lennon was quoted as saying the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. The quote led to death threats and protests from religious groups in the Bible Belt, who called for the public burning of Beatles records.
0: If you, as an American teenager, are offended by statements from a group of foreign singers which strike at the very basis of our existence as God-fearing, patriotic citizens... Then we urge you to take your Beatles records, pictures, and souvenirs to the pickup points about to be named. And on the night of the Beatles' appearance in Memphis, August 19th, they will be destroyed in a huge public bonfire at a place to be named soon.
2: Lennon's quote, as well as the band members speaking out against the Vietnam War, slowed ticket sales across the U.S. and in Cleveland.
0: You know, that was a big stadium, Cleveland Municipal Stadium. It's got, what, 86,000 people? And um, when I talked to the promoter, promoter Norman Wayne, uh, they were planning on selling five to 60,000 tickets for that show. And Lennon, John Lennon's remarks came out about the Beatles being more popular than Jesus. And he told me, he said, just ticket sales just stopped. So even though they announced, I think they announced about 26,000 people were in attendance. He told me it was less than 20.
2: Despite the controversy, Cleveland still hadn't seen anything like a Beatles stadium concert anticipation for the show turned downtown into a fan fest for the Fab Four remembers concert attendee Sadler.
3: My mom dropped us off right in front of the Sheraton Hotel and that's where they were staying you know right on the square and they were actually peering out the window you know same old story so you know there's a huge crowd in front and then I said you know they're gonna you know they were about ready to leave for the concert I said let's go back by the garbage entrance and we went back there and there weren't that many people you know, fans back there, but sure enough, that's where they left. And they were in the limousine and we picked the right place to see them exit.
2: The limousine would make its way to the field at Cleveland Municipal Stadium, dropping the Beatles off at a trailer positioned behind the stage on second base. So that just kicked up the excitement because at the other stadium shows they did, the kids never knew they were there
0: until they were introduced, and then they ran out of one of the baseball dugouts. But in Cleveland, they showed up in a limousine that stopped at home plate, Cleveland Indians infield. The Beatles got out of the car, waved to the crowd. Every kid in there knew where they were. They turned around and walked to this house trailer, uh, and they sat there for the entire show. They were in that trailer, so every kid knew that's where they were. So the adrenaline, the excitement kept, every time someone peeked out of the curtain,
2: they'd screaming, going wild. Supporting acts for the concert included The Remains, Bobby Hebb, The Circle, and The Ronettes. But fans were lucky if they could hear any of them, or even The Beatles for that matter. Cleveland musician David Budden was a teenager when he attended The Beatles' Cleveland Stadium concert and remembers the music being drowned out by screams rock bands didn't do stadium concerts before the beatles and they had no idea
1: you know how to, how to get that sound out they uh, i i had been playing in bands all my life since i was a little kid and by then i was playing in a band that had as much equipment as the beatles did you know which is not saying much i'm not saying that we had a lot i'm saying that they had a little you know each guy had one little amp uh, Ringo's drums weren't really miked, and as far as I recall, they weren't actually. They didn't put that sound. They weren't, you know, the amps weren't miked to go through the stadium sound system. And if they were, it wouldn't have mattered anyway because of thirty-some thousand mostly girls um, screaming. the The thing that I remember most was that the sound of the screaming didn't sound like screaming. It just sounded like um, it sounded like a drum roll on your eardrum.
2: It wasn't long into the Beatles' performance that history would repeat itself. The hysteria witnessed at Public Hall in 1964 would rear its head once again. Kent, Ohio resident Bob Burford was just nine years old attending the Beatles Stadium concert with his 18-year-old brother.
4: Around the fourth song, "Gay Tripper," there was a growing crowd uh, at the at the fence for the out there. So there was a growing crowd around these snow fences. And the crowd kept getting bigger and bigger, and we kind of moved down. Pretty soon, you know, they just broke through the fences and uh, crushed them and started running on on the field. And my brother grabbed my arm and said, let's go. So we were on the field. The Beatles um, were taken back to that little trailer. I went up to the trailer and touched it, you know. And at that point, I think I was probably 12 feet
2: away from some Beatles. 2,500 people invaded the stadium's field and ran towards the stage. Overwhelmed, police had no choice but to let fans through. Rushing the Beatles off the stage remembers Budden, who was seated in the stadium's upper deck. I was watching through
1: binoculars at that point, and first I saw Paul, who was on stage right. I just saw him suddenly look at John in the middle of the stage. So I put the binoculars over on John, and I saw him look back at Paul, and then I see hands at the bottom of my binoculars, and then arms, and then heads. You know, the kids were just running with their hands in the air. They ran over the storm fence and all the way to the stage. There must have been a couple of cops or something who whisked the Beatles off the stage back into their dressing room. And then the um, the, disc jockeys came out and they said, the Beatles aren't, will not come back out until you all go back in your seat. They kept saying that until finally everybody got back in their seats. Beatles come back
2: out, they play one note, and the crowd rushes them again. The Beatles would return and complete their set, which was just 11 songs long. However, the end of the concert served as motivation for a smaller group of fans to storm the Beatles stage and trailer, attempting to take equipment and instruments as souvenirs.
0: At the end of the show, Paul McCartney always said, they never did an encore, everybody knew that. They were like Elvis, you know, Elvis has left the building. Um, Paul McCartney announced it was their last song. And so the kids have been told that if they get out of their seats, this concert's over. But by when he said the last song, they knew it was the last song. They had nothing to lose. They all started pouring out on the field again. And it was a big battle to get them out of that stadium.
3: To lead a better life, I need my love to be here.
2: Stadium concert would be the last time the Beatles performed in Cleveland. In fact, it would be one of the final performances of the band's career. Prior to their 1966 U.S. tour, the Beatles had already decided to retire from touring. The band would turn its focus to studio recording. Exhausted from the monotonous routine of being on the road, well, I think you know by this time they were pretty fed up with the touring. I mean, the pinnacle, honestly, was August 15th,
0: 1965, Shea Stadium. John Lennon said, "I saw the top of the mountain on that concert." And after that, it was pretty much all downhill. It was doing the same thing over
2: and over and over. The Beatles would call it quits at the end of the 1960s. Fifty-five years after the band's final full-fledged tour, the memories remain special for those who were lucky enough to be there.
4: I, I don't really come across, m- you know, many my friends or acquaintances that that have uh, been there, or, uh, 1964 or '66. To the point where sometimes when I post something about it, uh, like if someone's asking a question, sometimes it seems like people don't even believe it. Like, it's like why would I make something like that up?
3: And in the end
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of CLE Rocks. If you like what you hear, please check out our page on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or your favorite podcasting platform. Leave a five-star review to help us get the word out. I'm Troy L. Smith with Cleveland.com. Until next time.